continue this morning in our series looking at big storylines from the Bible, stories that maybe you think you're familiar with, but we're going to take another look at these and see what God might have for us today, this morning. If you need a Bible, we're going to read just a moment. Put up your hand. We'll have a good couple of ushers or individuals to pass out the red Bibles at the front here on the other side, if you need one of those. We are going to um, be reading in Genesis, and just a little bit of the context. Last week we looked at the fall of humankind, and this week we're going to look at the effects on a family, on a tangible, real-life family. What did this mean for them? In chapter 3, we see the infiltration of sin into the human race, and in chapter 4, we see how this impacts real people in a family. Would you please stand with me? We're going to read God's Word together. We're in Genesis 4. I'm going to read 1 through 16. Then we're going to skip over the middle section, pick it back up in verse 25. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. If you've got another translation, you should be able to follow along okay as well. Genesis 4, beginning in verse 1. Now Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, With the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. One day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother, Abel, and killed him. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my my brother's guardian? But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you're cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. Cain replied to the Lord, my punishment is too great for me to bear. You've banished me from the land and from your presence. You've made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. The Lord replied, no, I will give a sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. So Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. We're going to skip the middle section. This This is the account of Cain and his descendants and their descendants of further wickedness. Pick it up in verse 25. Adam had sexual relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to another son. She named him Seth. For she said, God has granted me another son in place of Abel, whom Cain killed. When Seth grew up, he had a son and named him Enosh. At that time, people first began to worship the Lord by name. Please have a seat. What an interesting story of siblings. I'm curious, how many of you guys right now have siblings or did have siblings at one point? Raise your hand. A lot of us have siblings. You know what it's like to have siblings. I had two sisters. I also had a younger brother. Here he is up here, Tim. So I like to call him Timbo, my little brother Timbo. We were seven years apart. We were kind of inseparable. I loved to take him under my wing, hang out with him, pour into him, teach him things. 
We even, li- we even liked the same number. We were both number seven when we played basketball. Here we are he- heading to the playground to see who we can challenge in two-on-two. We used to do this all the time. And, you know, the best thing about having a brother who is seven years younger than me is I could, I could school him on the court anytime I wanted. It felt so good to play one-on-one and just crush him. But, you know, when I turned, when I turned about 30, the tables turned, man. He just... He took me to school, and it's been that way ever since. So no Cain and Abel ending here. We're great friends. We're great brothers still. But sibling relationships can come in all different ways. And we're going to look at an interesting story this morning about Cain and Abel. Now, at first glance, you might think the crux of this story is about murder. But as we're going to find today, I think that there's another conceptual thread running throughout the narrative that we're going to find this morning as we look at the text. So it says that Adam lays with Eve, and first Cain is born, then Abel. Now when Cain is born, this is what Eve says. She says, with the Lord's help, I've produced a man. She seems pretty proud of this, uh, pretty excited. I mean, remember the curse? This was supposed to be really difficult, and she's excited. With the Lord's help, I've done this. We've got a son. I've produced a man. Cain's Cain's name meant acquired or possessed. In today's language, it probably means, I've got him. I've gotten him. I've got my son. Now, why was Cain so excited, or, uh, excuse me, why was Eve so excited about the birth of Cain? Think about this for a second. You remember what, what we read last week in Genesis 3 when, when God was pronouncing the consequences for Adam and Eve? Could it be that Eve was expecting her first son to be a deliverer, to be a redeemer? For humankind from the fall of sin. Look at what Genesis 3.15 says. I've got it on the slide. I will cause hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. So is it po- perhaps Eve thought, Cain is going to crush the evil one. We're going to be redeemed. This, this fall business is going to be completed pretty soon. We've got, we've got Cain. You know, unfortunately, that didn't happen. She didn't get a redeemer in Cain. She got a murderer. She got an evil murderer. Well, she has another son. His name is Abel. Abel's name means breath or vapor, and and indeed, his life was pretty short. It was like a vapor. He was here, and then he was gone. Abel was a shepherd. Cain was a farmer. There's nothing inherently wrong with either of these professions, and the text gives no indication that there was. Nevertheless, what happens next is really interesting, if not flat-out perplexing. Uh, Genesis 4, 3 and 5 says this. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry and he looked dejected. So looking at this text, does this perplex you? I mean, I know we have our traditions and we have our recollections of how this story went and why this happened and that happened. When you're actually just looking at the text, if we're honest, we have to admit it doesn't say explicitly why the Lord accepted Abel's gift and not Cain's. I remember being perplexed by this as a young kid, hearing sermons on this topic in church. I'd have my picture Bible out. got a picture here from a picture Bible. I'd be looking at this picture thinking, what's going on here, you know? Abel is all worshipful. The smoke of his offering is going up. By the way, it doesn't say that in the Bible. It doesn't say the smoke's going up, but there it is. In the background, you've got Cain. 
He's looking dejected. He's upset. He's jealous. It's a fascinating picture. By the way, man, the, the picture Bibles were like the golden ticket when I was a kid going to church. If the pastor said something like, this morning I'm excited to begin a year-long series in Leviticus, every child in the church would run for the library for that picture Bible. So I had that thing checked out all the time. Loved having that during the sermons when I was younger. So what's, what's happening here? It's interesting that, as we remember last week, there's more going on than meets the eye here. Remember Pastor Brian mentioned that the, uh, that God made clothing for Adam and Eve out of animal skins. Perhaps that was the first blood sacrifice for, for sins. If we look at Cain and Abel as a parallel, perhaps it, this was the reason that God rejected it. Because it's the wrong kind of offering. Another option is, well, we know God is God. He can do what he wants. He doesn't have to give us a reason for what he does. He could have just decided that he didn't like this offering. A third option is an attitudinal problem. As we see in the picture, Cain likely, as we read in the text further on, Cain's attitude was not right. So we've got these three options. All of them together, I think, have some merit if we put them together to paint the picture of what's happening. And, you know, the Israelites, when they would have first read these words, they probably wouldn't have had the difficulty that we have trying to figure out what's going on. I mean, they had the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, they would likely realize that man in his sin couldn't approach God without the shedding of, a, of sacrificial blood. But Cain didn't necessarily have that revelation, or did he? Did his parents teach him this? It's reasonable to think that they would have passed down some teaching to him on this subject. Whatever the case, it's peculiar. It's interesting. We're trying to figure out what exactly is happening in this scene. We also know from Leviticus 2 that grain offerings were suitable gifts to honor God in the context of a celebration. So is this a, is this a gift to honor God? Is it a sacrifice for atoning of sins? Whatever is happening, we, we can have some further lead, light shed, shed on it from Hebrews and 1 John. Hebrews 11 says this, By faith Abel brought a better sacrifice, a better offering than Cain did. By faith he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith... Abel still speaks even though he is dead. He still speaks even though he's dead. Did you know that Jesus called Abel a prophet in Luke 11? Abel didn't utter any words that were recorded in Scripture, and and Jesus called him a prophet. His life was a prophetic witness to a right heart attitude before God, leading to right actions, leading to a relationship with God. It's amazing what Jesus calls him, a prophet. 1 John 3, 11, 12 also Bring some issues to light. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Don't be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. You see, when you put it all together, Abel acted in faith. He had the right heart attitude leading to the right actions. Cain acted without faith with the wrong attitude leading to the wrong actions probably the wrong sacrifice, and it was all rooted in pride. And not only that, but Abel's faith and right attitude led him to offer the best of what he had for this sacrifice, the best of his firstborn lambs. You see, Abel is in relationship with God, and Cain is not. You know what? God always seems to inspect the giver and the worshiper before he inspects the gift, service, or worship. 
He, he's concerned about where you're at, where your heart is at. Thankfully, if you believe in Jesus Christ, now you're in Christ, so you're accepted. You're flat out accepted. Your sins have been paid for. But God still cares about our attitude and the heart that we approach Him with. Point number one, true worship flows out of the right heart attitude toward God. The right heart attitude. Cain just didn't have that. He didn't have the right attitude. So now he's dejected, he's angry. And you know, in Hebrew, this word for angry, it's not moderately ticked off. This is an extreme and intense anger that Cain is harboring. Cain is enraged with this situation. He is enraged. Now, think about it. Cain's not necessarily an irreligious person. He believed in God. He wanted God's approval, just like we do. The problem is he wanted to come to God on his own terms. He wanted to come to God on his own terms, not God's terms. How many of you guys are excited about the Super Bowl today? Anybody? We got, we got four Super Bowl tickets up on the screen. I don't have them in my back pocket, so I'm not going to give you... T- that would be cool, though, because it's only like three and a half hours away. You could even maybe get to the game still if I did have the tickets. But there's the official Super Bowl tickets. Levi's Stadium later today, okay? Now, what if you decided you were going to go to the Super Bowl today? It's doable. You can drive there after the service. The only problem is you don't have the official tickets. So you've got a great plan. You're going to connect with a graphic artist who's going to make you the most phenomenal-looking Super Bowl tickets you've ever seen. You're going to bring those tickets to the game. You're going to walk up to the gate with confidence, believing that this is, this is it, and they're not going to let you into the Super Bowl because they're not the official ticket. They weren't issued by the NFL. You didn't come to the Super Bowl on the terms that the NFL set forth. Now, Cain's not coming to God on God's terms. And it is interesting today how there's so many people from a variety of backgrounds all over the world that all have many ideas of how to come to God. The only problem is it's on their own terms. And God's terms are we come to God through His Son, Jesus Christ. We come to God in faith. We come to God with the right attitude. We come to God receiving a relationship because of Jesus. So, True worship flows out of a right heart attitude. Cain didn't have that. Look at what Jesus says to the Pharisees in Matthew 15. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And then God says through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 66, But to this one I will look, to him who is humble, contrite of spirit, and who trembles at my word. He trembles at my word. Humble, right heart. It's not a bad thing, you know, for us to be thinking about our motives in life, our motives for serving God. Think about it this morning. Okay, so why, why is it that you are a nice person or that you want to be a nice person? What are your motives for being a nice person to people in the church family? What are your motives for being a nice person to people outside of the church family? Why do you give of your finances to the Lord's work? Why do you do it? And why do you serve in a certain ministry? Children's ministry, youth, recovery. Why do you serve? Why do you serve in ministry? See, Cain wasn't willing to, to search his heart. His offerings were rejected. We have an opportunity to search our hearts. And you know, as I said, when we're in Christ, we're already accepted. But God is longing for us to be honest about where our heart is. So he can draw us into a closer daily relationship with him. Jesus. So God now begins the questioning with Cain. 
Now, don't mistake God's questions to Cain as some kind of a mean God who's out to get Cain. I think sometimes we just kind of gloss over this story. We think about it. It's like, oh man, God was so harsh on Cain. He had to... Let's look at this again. He's beginning with the questioning. But this questioning actually looks to me a lot like God's grace in action. He's giving Cain some opportunities here to turn away from his sin. You see, in his grace, God warns and offers a way of escape from sin. It's point number two in your outline. Look at what 1 Corinthians 10:13 says. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He's not going to let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he's going to provide a way of escape so that you can endure it. Have you ever experienced that before? You find yourself being tempted, and God provides a way of escape in his grace, in his goodness. And that's what God's doing here. He's going to question Cain, and he's giving him an opportunity. Cain, your heart was wrong, your sacrifice was wrong. Everything was wrong, and now I'm giving you an opportunity to make things right. God asked Cain these questions. Why are you so angry? This is in verses 6 and 7, if you want to look at that. Why are you angry? Why do you look so dejected? Other translations say, why has your countenance fallen? Then God says, if you do, or he says, you will be accepted if you do what is right. Or as a question, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Will not your countenance be lifted up? You ever notice that in your own life? If you are just, you're just angry. You can't figure, why am I so angry? Why am I having such a rough day? Then you get quiet, you get connected to God, and you experience the flow of His Spirit in your life, and all of a sudden, you find your, your attitude changing, your actions changing. You do what's right, not in a legalistic sense, but it flows out of having the Spirit living in you. You do what's right, and then your countenance is lifted up. All because of what God does in you through Jesus Christ. So this is the way out that God is providing. Cain just needs to answer the question, do some reflecting, choose repentance and not more sin. Now some of you might be thinking, man, I wish God would ask me these kind of questions right before I do something crazy that brings a whole bunch of havoc into my life. Well, actually he does. God does do that. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've got the Spirit in you, and the Spirit prompts us, warns us, nudges us, guides us in the big decisions of life, and the little ordinary everyday things. It's like God is gently and quietly questioning and guiding us every step of the way as we live for him. Secondly, like Pastor Eugene Peterson says about the Bible, he says, eat this book. Eat this book. He doesn't mean actually eat it. He means take it in. Take in the scriptures. There's a lot of ways you can do that. You can read it devotionally. You can meditate on a small section of scripture. You can study it by yourself, and even better, in community with others. It's a life-giving book. Here at Bethany, we've got a good tool. It's not the only tool for reading the Bible, but it's, it's a good systematic daily tool. It's called R&R. You can pick up a reading guide at the back, Info Center, if you want to do that every day. You can even better at, do that in community. Read the Bible with others. Talk about how it applies to your life. Pray for each other. There's a men's R&R group Pastor Brian's office every Thursday morning before, early before work. Other groups should be forming soon as well. love to connect you to that opportunity to take, take it in, into your life. God also warns him, the second part of verse 7, if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door. It's eager to control you. You've got to subdue it and be its master. What does this mean, that sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you? You remember First Peter? He says, be alert. 
and sober of mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Prowling around. Jesus says that the, that the enemy is looking to steal, kill, and destroy. Friends, that's, that's what happens in our lives when we open the door to sin. The devil steals, kills, and destroys. You may have heard this popular saying. It's up on the screen. Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Think about that for a second. As you read that, you're probably thinking about different instances in your life thus far where that, that, that's what happened. You were tempted, you are curious, you tried something out. Your intention was, I just want to try this. The reality of what happened is, what, is that you were, you were stuck in that sin for longer than you wanted to be there. And then it cost you more than you wanted to pay. Think about it in this way. It's no, look, it's no secret that pornography is a horrible thing. It's prevalent in our society, inside and outside of the church, unfortunately. It's, it's bad. It's, but it's like this. Um, have you ever talked to someone who's on the other side of the damage done? Talk to, a, talk to someone who lost their spouse, alienated themselves from their children, their family, because of the <clears throat> effects of pornography and the marriage breakdown that it causes. It's, it's heartbreaking. And did you know that you know, the society's desire for this stuff actually helps human trafficking continue and the sex trade continue all over the world? It's a worldwide problem. It's terrible. In fact, in a couple of weeks, we have a missions lunch. Sarah Stombach is going to lead a lunch on February 28th, the Fellowship Center after the second service. We're going to have Ryan Townsend here from Central Valley Justice Coalition who fights against, raises awareness and fights against human trafficking. And um, we can learn how we can pray and combat this, this um, horrible trade happening all over the world, even here in Fresno. So it keeps you longer than you want to stay and it costs you more than you want to pay. By the way, if you're stuck in sin, I mean, this is, this is the best place to be is in Jesus' presence, ready to deal with it. Don't be ashamed. Don't live in shame. Bring it to the light. Talk to somebody. Get some prayer. Get some accountability worked in. And there's a new future ahead of you. We're excited about what Jesus does in our lives. So in his grace, God questions Cain and gives him a way of escaping. Okay? So he's given him another show of grace. What does Cain do? Verse 8. He suggests to his brother, let's go out in the fields. And while they were there, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Notice the gravity of mankind, the fall of mankind now. Okay, Adam and Eve were told the consequences of their sin. And now it's it's about to get real here. We have the first premeditated cold-blooded murder. And in spite of this horrific murder, Cain gives, God gives Cain a second chance to repent. What does Cain do? He, he lies about it. Verse 9, I don't know. Am I my brother's guardian? Another word for that is keeper. Cain is being sarcastic with God. Have you ever been sarcastic with God? Something bad happens, and you're just like, God, are you serious? Cain's is even, it's worse than that, because he is flat out guilty here. He's being sarcastic. You know, Cain refused to accept responsibility. God's, he's saying, am I my brother's keeper? And God's saying, yes, of course you're your brother's keeper. You know how I set this up? You know how I set families to work? You're responsible. You love each other. You're responsible for each other. Cain refuses to accept blame, and thereby he burns a bridge of reconciliation. 
this is going to cost him his family. It's going to cost him his relationship with God. It's going to cost him his share in the land and his occupation. God's not buying that. Verse 10 and 12, the Lord says, What have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So then God curses him, banishes him, says you, you can't be an effective farmer anymore, and now you're going to be a homeless wanderer on the earth. Okay, so now surely Cain's going to repent now, right? I mean, it's no, he doesn't repent. He complains about the severity of the punishment. And he says, anybody that finds me is going to kill me. So you see, God could have struck Cain dead right, right there. But he didn't. In fact, capital punishment was the way that God instructed Israel to deal with premeditated murder cases. But you know, it wasn't always the way that God himself chose to act. Think about King David in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. God didn't strike him dead. And he doesn't here either. See, God holds justice in his right hand and mercy in his left. And today... God's given Cain justice and mercy. Don't settle for only remorse and regret. Truly repent. Point three in your outline. Don't settle for just feeling bad about stuff that happens. For wishing that the fallout of your actions hadn't occurred. Truly turn, repent. Turn away from your sin. It's just, it just means to, instead of just confessing your sin and then doing the same thing or just feeling bad, repenting is confessing your sin and then receiving the forgiveness that's already there. Remember, Jesus died once for all time, for all sin, past, present, future. So you, he died once for your, you receive that forgiveness, and then that empowers you to actually go the other, do something different. Repent. Turn away from your sins. It comes not from you mustering up the willpower. It comes from having a realization of who you are in Christ Experiencing that grace, that empowers you to turn from your sins. So Cain's not sorry. He's only sorry for the consequences. He's banished from the land. But God's still nice to him. Hey, I'm going to put a mark on you. Nobody's going to kill you. You know, the early rabbis thought the mark of Cain was like this big horn coming out of his forehead. So that people would see Cain and they just get really freaked out. Who is this guy with this big horn coming out of his head? That's not in the Bible. It's... Rabbis often uh, had some really interesting ways of dealing with questions. So he, Cain has the mark of Cain. God's going to protect him. Okay, So he leaves God's presence and he settles in, Nod, in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Now, what happens with his family, it just, it just kind of continues. The defiance continues. See, God told Cain that he's going to be a homeless wanderer. So what does Cain do? He establishes a city to live in. God said, no, you're going to be a wanderer. He doesn't like that. He establishes a city. And uh, then he has a whole bunch of offspring. Further down the line, there's a guy named Lamech. Lamech uh, kind of takes sin to another level that Cain, even Cain couldn't do. Lamech becomes the first polygamist. See, that polygamy was ne- multiple wives. It was never God's desire for, for polygamy. We can see that in Genesis 2 and Matthew 19. But God permitted it like he did with other customs he disapproved of. For example, divorce, marrying concubines. These are not God's original plan. But he permitted these things for a time while he's preparing to pour out grace and reveal Jesus Christ. But they're not, they're not God's choice for people. So Lamech is pretty sinful. Then he, he creates a poem or maybe a song that he sings to his two wives 
about how he committed two murders and about how powerful and kind of pompous he is in verses 23 and 24. So we can just see this absolute decay happening to society. Adam and Eve's sin, it progresses to murder in a family. It progresses to the absolute decay of society. And Cain's line is in trouble. Interestingly, God still, this thread, the thread I'm talking about is the thread of grace in this story that God gives to people, even if they don't deserve it. Here's another thread of grace. Cain's cursed, he's banished from the land, and yet his offspring, his offspring make important cultural and scientific contributions. He's got a son, becomes the father of nomadic herdsmen, domesticates animals for farming, things like that. He's got another son, he's the first in a line of musicians, and his third son is the first of great metal workers. That said, they're about to go bye-bye. The flood's coming, and that line is going to be wiped out. It's going to be completely wiped out. Okay, so we've got moral decay and rampant sin. And you know what? God still has a plan. The thing I love about just reading the Bible front to back, or even better, get a chronological Bible, which really matches up uh, parallel stories, you can see God's plan unfolding as you read and study the Bible. And God has had a plan from the beginning. None of this stuff is catching him off guard. He's not react. God has a plan. Point four, regardless of circumstances, God's plan and purpose of salvation will prevail. In Genesis 4.1, Eve has Cain, but he's no redeemer. He's a murderer. Now check out verse 25, end of the chapter. She gives birth to another son. His name is Seth. Seth's name means to set in place. You know, Seth's lineage is going to be the, the line of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The, it's being set in place. It's going to happen. God has a plan to bring Jesus, the real Redeemer. As we see in Luke chapter 3, the lineage goes to Seth. So Jesus, our Savior, comes from Seth. Cain's descendants, as I mentioned, they're going to be wiped out in the flood. But God has a plan. He's got a plan and a purpose of redemption and salvation, and he's committed to that. Now, as I close, I just want to ask you this. Whether you believe, whether you're following Jesus or not, are you following the way of Cain or the way of Abel? Are you trying to come to God on your own terms, thinking that I'm just kind of exploring all this stuff that life has to offer, and yeah, I, I think God loves me, and I, on my own terms, I'll get there. Or do you, are you going to follow the way of Abel? Jesus called him a prophet. Jesus is the result of this way. Jesus poured out his life for us. You can come to Jesus as you are, no matter what's happened, no matter what you've done, no matter this, wherever you're at, Jesus is welcoming you. But when you come to him, you're now coming to, to God on God's terms because God wants us to come to him through his son, Jesus Christ. I'm asking you this morning, do you want to give your life to Jesus Christ? If you've already done that, do you want to get serious about living, keeping in step with the Spirit. God wants you to live the way that He's designed you through the power of His Spirit, walking in obedience and joy.